0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're chiming into this webinar, both uh, taped and and potentially live. Uh, We are hosting our 12th episode of season two, and and we've done this in three installments. We've been insane enough to actually have three webinars webcasts today. Um, This one, we're focused on the 2020 Future Proofing Awards, and with a particular focus on business models, ecosystems, talent, and transformation. my name is Sean Moffat. I am joined by my talented co-host, Andrea Cates. Say hi, Andrea. Say everyone. Excellent. And then we will uh, more formally introduce two uh, very smart uh, panelists in our discussion. And uh, uh, the agenda is pretty loose on this one. We want to surface um, some of the best companies and organizations and brands that have actually seen the future and maybe have acted to get there a little bit quicker than most. And so we're gonna be surfacing them in these four categories today. There we are again, and Joanna's always our very capable community manager, um, kind of pulling the strings behind the curtain. I, uh, I just saw this as of a few hours ago, and I thought it might be an interesting um, kind of uh, intro to this particular discussion. Uh, Wire just posted something about the future of commerce belongs to the frictionless and uh, had a number of good examples. Uh, we're talking business models, at least first out of the gate today. And they profiled this group called the Mint House, and um, they essentially have uh, very few staff in their hotel. Their rooms are about three times the size of regular hotels. And what might normally in a normal pre-pandemic time be considered a minus, you might want that high-touch contact. Certainly, given the fact, you know, March, everything stopped for most of the world, um, has actually led them to have an occupancy rate that's about four times higher than the uh, the average upscale scale hotel. So uh, I know we've got a chief medical officer on here. I know healthcare has completely virtualized itself almost overnight. I know yep. we've got a person that's into um, kind of a manufacturing, but like a kind of a, with a particular bent on um, personal care. And so I think that's probably radically changed. So uh, I thought it was an interesting intro into our discussion today. Um, Just to intro this further, I know our nominations will be starting next Monday. So we're going to have an open nomination process to the world uh, with 16 different categories of future proofing awards. And so Um, As much as we love to consider ourselves experts on the world of future-proofing, there's always that rare Norwegian company that we've never heard of that surfaces, that crazy pizzeria in Arkansas, or that uh, remarkably wonderful thing in Nairobi that we just don't have access to, and so we're opening this up to the world to actually identify for us. And my hope is our two panelists today will agree to be judges on the back end of this whole process as we surface who might be the best absolutely <laughs> uh, here, are 60, here are 16 categories that we're going through today we have a particular focus on the bottom row business models ecosystems talent and transformation um, it's kind of a very dynamic set of four things and uh, I've been told and I, I kind of know that our panelists will be able to rise their rise their a-game to our discussion today Andrea before we get started and in introducing our panelists any introduction to our discussion that you'd like to make
1: I think it's really interesting. There's something called uh, recency, when you, when you uh, decide that you're gonna evaluate a staff member and they just did something incredible like the day before. So you give them a 10, forgetting that they had been not, maybe not doing that or vice versa, they messed up within the past month, but 11 months of great stuff. So I think that we, um, at least I know when I was picking, I was suffering a bit from recency because this pandemic, it's hard for me to remember that it's only been in 2020 so uh, I was trying to take the long view, but it, I think it's just you know, this recency and the ability to now look backwards and see who was preparing to be a resilient future-proofer before and what they ended up doing, I think is gonna be super interesting.
0: Yeah, it's, it's tough not to be influenced by the pandemic, certainly in this row, because uh, I think, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely affected my judgment as well. Why don't you introduce our panelists, Andrea?
1: Well, the two of our favorite future proofers, Moises Noreña, who is uh, with Fortune Brands and VP of Innovation. And he'll talk a little bit more, perhaps in context about what he's been up to, um, you know, what he's allowed to share. And then George Matthew, I love the story that we met in Lisbon. We both live in the US, but we were part of a community in Lisbon. And I knew that he was a future proofer. And actually, to be honest, George, I wouldn't mind if also when you speak up first, if you give a bit about Little mini commercial and what DXC Technology is doing. So you can feel sure. free when you do your first your first appearance to tell us a little bit of a little commercial. So
2: um, sure, thank you, um, and, and thank you, Sean and Andrea both for letting me join this today. Uh, Andrea, as you know, I've become uh, kind of a fan over the last couple since we met in Lisbon, and I did see Dan Kraft later on in uh, Sao Paulo, and I said hi. He seemed shocked. (laughs) Uh, um, So DXC Technology is a uh, merger of two older companies. Uh, The old EDS company, uh, H. Pro, Perot, uh, that was sold to Hewlett Packard and then sold to another company called CSC back about four years ago. Uh, Together, they've been about a $22 billion global IT vendor. Um, We're in 71 countries, we cover eight verticals. Uh, Healthcare is the largest vertical uh, and, you know, my role was to be the chief medical officer for our state and local business, along with all of the other healthcare sectors. Um, the original business was Medicaid claims processing. We were in 42 out of 50 states. Um, it's a pretty big business. And then on top of that, we do uh, insurance companies, hospitals, life sciences companies, you name it. And a lot of it's all digital transformation, um, trying to help people figure out what they need to be to survive for the future. So you can imagine, not only did we gravitate to each other in Lisbon, but I started reading as much as I could uh, because you seem to be describing where my job needed to go. Um, uh, my beat is really North and South America. I have counterparts in the rest of the world, um, but my goal is to try to be, um, to inject some healthcare experience and subject matter expertise into what we do and help our clients deliver better
0: care to people that they're taking care of. That's Great
1: it. commercial. So back to you, Sean.
0: Well, it's always a good panelist, too, that avoids my uh, careful uh, miss, misspelling of his title uh, and just uh, bypasses it like it's uh, just one smooth thing. So uh, the last thing put into the deck is the the worst thing spelled. So uh, thanks for letting that one go, George, chief medical officer. I don't mind being a um, TV.
2: It's okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, it translates somewhere, I'm sure. But uh, all right. We thought we'd uh, – we've got four different categories. we got four smart people. We're going to just um, – Uh, take one of these at a time and, and parse them out. Um, the first one is business models. I'm going to, um, go off screen here and, uh, we can see all of us and, uh, maybe Moises, we'll start with you in terms of just, um, a nominee that you ran across that maybe has seen the future quicker than most and is a, in the business model arena of, um, of companies that you appreciate.
3: Yeah. You know, I, um, have uh, listened to Andrea talk a few times, and I know she always mentioned mentions Amazon as a company that is future proof, so I thought I'd pick one that it 's actually amazon proof um, mm. which is something that it 's uh, you know hard to do these days, and that is uh, shopify i think it 's mm-hmm. a, uh, yeah. a company that um, found a way to fill a market need that Amazon could not with uh, unique value. Uh, basically has a, a you know different business model than amazon rather than coming to my platform i help you create your own platform customize it make it you but in a very simple way and uh you know i think the proof that they are amazon proof is that they just recently had a deal with walmart uh, so for me that's a yes. very future-proof company that it's uh actually as you mentioned it's hard to uh forget about the pandemic but i think the pandemic has actually made them even stronger so that's my pick
0: Great pick. Uh, As a Canadian, I appreciate you on that one too. I've uh, (laughs) I've paid nothing for that uh, one. So awesome to get us started. George, uh, what was your nominee in this camp?
2: Um, I'm going to start by warning everybody, all my choices are healthcare-based because I'm a healthcare guy. So please uh, forgive me my bias. Um, When I look at healthcare and specifically in the US, but also globally, I'm looking for something that's actually going to try to do what we haven't been able to do in decades, which is bring healthcare back to the patient. Um, and that's not just by having a doctor-patient relationship, but also a business model that's transforming it as well. So one of the th- companies that's been started here in the New York City area is a company called Savvy.coop, um, and it's a public benefit corporation. Um, what they do is they actually have found patients that have chronic conditions, and they're u- using surveys and finding consulting data to actually help them collect their own data and then creating relationships with large healthcare incumbents as a way to um, basically bring the expertise of their being a patient, their experience to these companies. Now, it's not a a settled model. They're still pivoting, as you might imagine, because a lot of healthcare companies don't know how to deal with a patient as a partner. Um, But I think that is the future, where before we've been trying to categorize patients as somebody who received care or advice, or, um, you know, someone that we need to work around and get paid, the future is collaboration with patients and the way that's going to be is through their data. And this company as a cooperative, pulls in the financial value of that and shares it equally throughout the cooperative. I'm actually a member of the cooperative. I feel like I'm advertising the hair club for men. So (laughs) bad bad example, but um, because I'm a client too. But I believe that this will be, uh, as we forecast the future for platforms, and how people will engage with their healthcare it'll be communities, digital communities that engage and make things happen.
0: It's—it's yeah, it's, You're mining two very interesting areas. Health, uh, I mean, if I, I term it industries that are looking at disruption of themselves, both pre and post pandemic health is probably one of them. And plus you you then throw on communities and collaboration and you're in the sweet spot, I think for business models. Yeah. Um, Andrew, how about your uh, nominee in this category?
1: Well, boom, I just happened to pick something before I knew what they were picking that bridges both. So there we go. I've got a Walmart angle and I got a healthcare wow. angle. It's called okay. Fresh Try. Okay. And it's uh, Dr. Kyra Bobinett, who um, has oh, yeah. she's worked with us before in terms of the evil side of uh, being hooked on technology. She, she was trained by someone named B.J. Fogg at Stanford, who's mm-hmm. kind of in our wheelhouse in terms of habits. He wrote a book called One Healthy Habit. So her company is called Fresh Try. And the reason that I think it's interesting is it bridges the Walmart as well as the healthcare. Uh, The model is that uh, that it's putting the habit formation, one healthy habit, into the hands of the patient. And don't know if this is gonna be the one that wins ultimately, but certainly this is in the wheelhouse of if Andrea intends to not eat a donut for breakfast, but it's like the marshmallow test like I can't help but eat that donut. It's just the mindset of you know not doing what we want to do. So this tries to use brain science and AI to help Andrea make an individual as a patient as an as a human decision. Um, The reason that I think it's interesting is that it's so it's on the individual basis it's based on this one healthy habit BJ Fogg stuff which I think is you know been proven successful in terms of habit changing. It's also based on being able to, you know, like every company says, oh, we'll give you a, a cheaper uh, health insurance policy if you just stop smoking. And like, we all lie. We tell them that we drink one glass of wine a week, you know, whatever. So um, so this is trying to really work with the employer. And I think that instead of making it an adversarial relationship, it's Walmart was one of their test cases. So um, I'm I'm watching them with tremendous interest to see if there's a way that the employer and the individual can kind of merge, and uh, to George's point, keep the data private because you don't necessarily want your employer knowing everything about you, and um, that that has been a, a, a patient record system issue for years. So that's my pick. Fresh try. Kyra Bobinet is the uh, CEO,
0: a woman, doctor. Nice, yeah. great well, pick. There you go. Good stuff. Um, I went. Uh, I haven't hit the healthcare button yet, so uh, there's no duplication here yet. Um, <laughs> I went Adidas on one of them. I always love to see large companies that actually introduce kind of edge kind of models to what they're doing. And so um, there was two that they've launched. One's called Avenue A, which is kind of like an influencer friendly um, version of themselves. So you, okay. you think of Adidas in terms of uh, those are the people that produce millions of shoes and they come out in boxes. Um, Avenue A is kind of more of an exclusive. We're going to give you stuff like almost like American Express front of the line for shoes. Um, They've also introduced another business model where you yourself can become an Adidas sneaker store owner. So they've uh, collaborated with a company called Store. And with very little understanding of tech or commerce or anything, really, you can actually build your own sneaker store, obviously fueled by Adidas products. So I thought, um, good for them in terms of just um, looking at what technology allows and also um, some democratization of what they're doing. The other one I had was the trade desk, which may be completely off of everybody's radar screen, but there's this incestuous thing about the media world where um, the people that sell the things oftentimes own the things that um, they're selling to. So it's putting yep. the rabbit in with the lettuce. Um, there's a, a thing called the trade desk, which is an open and independent uh, programmatic advertising model where, um, you know, I love their tagline transforming media for mankind. And I think they, Implicit in their promise is the notion that, look, we we've got open APIs, we're completely independent, we don't own anything we're selling, and if you want to plan your media like most people do nowadays through some type of interface, um, you know, we we promise you that we'll give you an objective analysis of who you should be targeting and if those people are real or not. So I thought they were a pretty good um, idea for a business model. Yeah. All right. We're going to move to our second um, category and it, it, it's kind of related to business models, I suppose, but it, it might even be broader called ecosystems. So which companies or organizations have seen the future and have built ecosystems around themselves with it? maybe Amazon proof, maybe, you know, whatever proof they need to be. George, um, you have the conch.
2: Okay. Um, I'm going to pick Intermountain Health, uh, as my ecosystem play. Um, Intermountain has done what most hospitals appear to do, which is look at their business model and kick it, not in the tires, but in the engine itself and see, how do we rebuild this better? Um, what they've been doing over the last couple of years has been nothing short of amazing. They just, for example, were, they were upset with how expensive drugs were getting, specifically generic drugs. Whenever they use it, uh, those, those medications for their patients, it would drive the cost of care up. So they thought out of the box, partnered with a bunch of other hospital systems and created their own generics company called Civica RX. And now it's actually going to start delivering some of their first drugs if it hasn't already in the next couple of months. And to me, that's extreme, that, that's building your own ecosystem. You know you need to treat, you need to be in an affordable way, and they're still true to the mission of taking care of the patient. So if you can't get it, you build it. Uh, so that's that's my pick.
0: And what's their introduction? It's, there's the company, but uh, for oh. a regular Joe and Josephine consumer, is it Civic RX? or is oh,
2: it- uh, Civic RX is a generics company. So Intermountain Health itself, right, out of Salt Lake City, Utah, big hospital system, uh, was built out of, a, of, I think, almost a dozen Mormon hospitals that were then given to become a private entity and told to compete for the 21st century. So they've redesigned and redesigned themselves several times over the last 20 years. But this is the first time they've stepped out of their traditional business model and said, we need to build a drug company because that's the only way we can cost-effectively treat our patients. There are a lot of hospitals that have the, not the mental horsepower and the finances to do that. And yeah. they're doing it. Well,
0: nice and great. And just breaking as well, which, uh, which yeah. we always like to have at Future Proofing next year. So, uh, <laughs> so thank you for that. Moises, uh, you were a nominee for uh, an ecosystem play.
3: No, I uh, have most companies that I picked are not related to the my work. So hopefully, I'll find one that it's it's more related to uh, the uh, <clears throat> the work that we do at Moen. But um, for ecosystems, I pick one that uh, may not be as familiar with, a lot of people, but it's uh, a huge company. It's called Mercado Libre. Uh, it's uh, actually a uh, company that was born in Argentina and started as the eBay of uh, of. Latin America, but really has grown to become really an ecosystem of commerce that is very hard to get out of. You know, when you when you think about what they built, now it's a combination of eBay, Amazon, real estate, you know, uh, grocery delivery. It's just really all for everyone. And um, incredibly enough, they're one of the best performing uh, stocks in the uh, New York Stock Exchange, which, uh, you know, is one that not a lot of people know because we're not Familiar and the US with it, but um, it has, a, has a tremendous uh, ecosystem around it that once you're in, it, it's hard to get out.
0: <laughs> it's like the godfather, isn't it? Like uh, now. Yeah. They it pull you back in. Pull you back <laughs> in again. Uh, that's great. So, I mean, and so it functions as an eBay, but so much more than eBay? Is that uh, kind well, of it's, the It's uh,
3: It's really um, an, a, a commerce platform, but is not only peer-to-peer, it also has Stores, large uh, supermarkets is really oh, wow. a master uh, commerce company. Nice. Moises, uh,
2: is there any other international um, comp that you would like? Anything in China? Anything in India that would be similar at all to Mercado Libre?
3: Um, I think Alibaba might be a little bit, uh, okay. but it's also compared to uh, WeWe. I think it's It's, it's a combination. It's, it has its unique uniqueness to it. What I found interesting as far as the ecosystems goes is that it you know, has all this data and then leverages insights from uh, consumers to even now to real estate, uh, which yeah. is something you would not see in a, uh, in a commerce company traditionally.
0: Definitely. Very cool. Andrea, ecosystems.
3: Yeah, okay. well, I
1: picked one in, I picked one in Japan um, Shimizu. We've worked with them. Uh, they are a very unlikely pick because they have not yet made their play. And this, there's nothing proprietary in what I'll share, but um, I watch their moves and what they are is a very traditional kind of construction real estate, you know, very kind of, you know, company that would be going uh, slowly into a shrinking mode now because in Japan, you know, the, the new um, building projects are probably down the, you know, the, the, uh, population is probably not growing really big. So what they've done is they have committed to a big open innovation center. And I think that it's really a head turner when they start doing that. And it's someone that we really respect uh, who's been chosen to go do that work. And so for a company that's of a very different, very traditional mindset in kind of, uh, you know, traditional construction to decide that they're looking outside of Japan, they're looking to create tech to you know to really get digitally savvy, to have ambitions outside. As we know, in future proofing the mindset and the desire is the first step. And so I would predict. I'm trying to sort of be future proofy where I see an early sign of something to watch, and I believe that that company just made a move that is a, a head turner.
0: Very good. Very good. Um... My two nominees, uh, certainly the first one, I'm enough to be dangerous on this one, just because George will probably check me on it and give ask me a hard question afterward. But essentially, our third biggest uh, telco in Canada is called TELUS. Um, and so TELUS is, uh, I guess you would liken it to a, a like a, a sprint or whatever in the US. They made a aggressive early investment in healthcare. They thought the future of connecting to people would be also connecting to patients and care. Um, this was pre-pandemic so lo and behold now we're in a pandemic where a lot of this service delivery is being actually uh, enabled through uh, digital connections and so they have a thriving debil- division called tell Us health and they have a network of partners now that I think trade off of some of their base business but um, uh, it's a standalone business unto itself as well so if you think uh, wow, there was a prevailing trend that got them there, but now they're really in the midst of, wow, uh, I wonder what their two biggest competitors are going to do now in the rest of the countries to catch up to them because they've probably got two or three years advance um, practice in terms of doing this. The other one I um, I put on my list was MyoVision, another Canadian company. Everybody talks about smart cities, but it always feels like the dream of the future. And so Vision is being able to actually create a patchwork quilt of partners that create solutions for smart cities. So essentially, if you want traffic flow in your city to be better, they've got pretty good at actually understanding the technology, but also understanding which vendors need to be part of that technology to actually make smart cities happen. And so if you jump on their website, they'll profile a lot of their different solutions that are all centered around not necessarily inventing things, but configuring things to make them work in a smart city setup. So, so those are my two there. All right, we're going to change to, um, I don't know if it's the softer side of things, but certainly um, when we look at AI and things that are coming, a lot of times we term up the future of work and talent in very dark foreboding ter- terms. My hope is we'll we'll surface some talent um, types of companies here that actually are doing great things um, for the people side of what they're doing. Uh, who's first here? I think Moises, um, what's your nominee for, for talent future-proofing companies?
3: um so i have a couple of picks and i think it's depending on how you interpret the um uh, the talent piece uh for me one of the ones that has been incredibly effective in how they manage their talent and uh really future thinking is um oh the name is just slipped me ahead in, in my in my memory it's um Simple Lab, it's a um, small startup that um, is leveraging the expertise of labs in the country and making that accessible to uh, to the everyday consumers. So basically what they're doing is taking all the different uh, and difficult language of water quality into uh, a very simple way to um, interpret. Uh, So what they're doing is becoming the, bringing talent that really understands water and understands consumers and um, simplify that experience. So today, if you wanted to have a uh, your water tested, typically go through, through one of these labs and you get a very complicated report. What they've done is really made that a very simple uh, process. And uh, they do that by really bringing people that have that technical background with a lot of user experience uh, which i don't think is typically something that you see in uh, the general uh, lab space wonderful uh i love it um and
0: uh, you probably know have you worked with them before given any of your
3: that's one of the uh startups i met through our works i was looking to find companies that uh, related a little bit to our um work in the space and uh you know we've done a lot of research in this space and we realize that um, you know, water quality is something that people are becoming more aware of uh, especially more in the pandemic but not I mean even even the last with things like flint and, and so forth but it's something that is really not understood um, so when someone i think is able to really bridge that uh, there's going to be a breakthrough there
0: nice awesome george healthcare example oh you're muted i think now Can you hear me? Yeah, totally. Okay. So, um,
2: you know, I'm going to, from the healthcare lens, ideally for me, it would be, um, it reminds me a little bit of politics. The people that make the sausage should eat the sausage. Um, There's a group out of Alaska called the South Central Foundation. Uh, They're a healthcare organization that delivers care, but uh, mostly to the the native uh, population there. But what's interesting about it is that the CEO, all the care providers, everyone is part of that community. So, you know, again, they eat the sausage they make. And I I find it interesting that, you know, when people typically talk about talent, right, you're thinking about, you know, pedigree or accomplishments or whatnot. To me, especially when it comes to something like healthcare, it's commitment. And are you committed to delivering and doing the best you can? I'd rather than, I hope I'm not offending anyone, I'd rather have the close to best person in the world trying their best, then the best person is half-assing it uh, because that means I'm not gonna get the care I need. And the South Central Foundation has found a way to do that by finding people that are all aligned towards delivering high quality care at a low cost and trying to make sure that people feel like they're being taken care of. And it's odd to talk about this because it seems like either A, it's too idealized or B, that you know, it should be like that already. Anyone that's been in, uh, even touched the healthcare system, at least in the United States in the last, <laughs> the last two decades, realizes it's not like that and should be.
0: I guess it's a cardinal rule that if you are involved in the experience itself, uh, you can see it from a different prism and maybe try to improve it from the inside out, right? Yeah. Especially if you and your loved ones have to be you know, using it at some point yeah. like to make sure that it's good. Great example. Um, Andrea?
1: So you'll think that I was listening to them in the back room, but I wasn't. I picked Alliance for Africa. I heard the one of the founders, Alex Tosato, who's a good friend and and you know a part of the Gray Swan Guild. He wrote a really great POV point of view for the for the Grace Swan Guild recently, and he was working at Nvidia and very well uh, experienced in AI. He's from Africa, and so he. Uh, started a group with a uh, some really talented people um, who are committed to um, bringing AI education to Africa and he gave a presentation uh, to a very large conference a couple days ago and I heard it and he talked he had a great slide that said we have to go from being seekers of aid to makers of our next generation and the thought of putting the tools in the hands of people and teaching people the AI and, uh, you know, and he shows all the graphs of what happens if we don't and uh Secret of aid is not, is not a tenable situation for anybody. And uh, I, I think that they're really onto something important. And I could tell from the people at the table in this conference the other day that, that they're making a, a big inroads in something really important. So it's called Alliance for Africa, Alliance for a, you know, um, Africa and it's, uh, artificial intelligence and technology education for, um, Africa.
0: And I was impressed upon his stuff, Andrew, that, um, you know, a lot of times there's this savior mentality of the, the developed world that we're going to go to Africa and we're going to cure and solve everything. And I just love, um, love his attitude around like, we can produce our own solutions, right? <laughs> like we're just, uh, you know, we're lacking some things, but, um, yeah. So,
1: yeah, I mean, and the one thing not to get into all this, cause I know we're time limited, but, you know, it, it's universal. I think, I think that that's one of the things the pandemic has taught us is we're all kind of on our own out here, right? So you know, I've learned how to fix my own computer and, you know, everybody's learned how to do things and it's like, we're all makers now. So um, I, think it's, I think it's a universal spirit of wanting to be self-sufficient and, and the tools have gotten so much easier, you know, when a, a seven-year-old that's can exactly. use Raspberry Pi and build a robot, you know, it's like, okay, it's, it's, it's gotten to the point where we can all do this.
0: Well, in the same vein, I've uh, I've chosen two consulting examples as my um, uh, my talent um, examples here. Uh, I've looked at a lot of different models over the last uh, little while, and I guess there's a, a, a begrudging um, respect for Bain as a company. Just uh, for the last 12 years, they have been one of the only three only three companies, I think, have been on Glassdoor's kind of top-rated list of companies for the entire um, history of their um, thing. So. Even though Deloitte may have great people and great people practice and stuff, Bain's being the only one that is actually, I think they're a third this year. So um, I think for a demanding population that probably is overworked and overstressed, it's amazing how much their employees rally around them in terms of their, uh, their focus on personal development and being able to move into different sectors if you want to. So that was one consulting example. And the other one I always bring up for people is a company out of the UK called Eden McCallum. And they've essentially um, brought up the notion that why do you need a business card to be a good consultant for somebody? Um, And so they've built an on-demand consultancy that brings together much like Upwork would bring together people that could do basic level activities like graphic design and, and kind of data tabulation and stuff they've built a global network of consultants that actually come together like a movie project and then go their separate way after they've done an engagement, which I, I found quite interesting. So, so those are my two in that one. All right, we've got our fourth category. I'm going to let Moises go first here because I know you've, you've got a hard stop uh, at some point just in case we have to, uh, to get out of here early. Um, the last category is transformation. Uh, we love, myself and Andrea love companies that actually have been taking their cruise ship and decide, you know what, this cruise ship's got to turn a little bit or a lot <laughs> this way. Um, maybe you've got a great example here, Moises.
3: Yeah, I mean, there are, I think, great examples in the world of that, but I'll use my former employer, um, Allstate Insurance, uh, you know, a traditional and the largest uh, home and auto insurers insurance company, you know, basically u- utilizing a business model that it's very traditional that depends on uh, regulation, but with an eye on a change in the future um, that will really be, uh, where risk will be assessed differently with the use of artificial intelligence and data. So, uh, in order to actually make the change, they created another company that I don't think is very well known, uh, but it's pretty large. It's called Aerity. And um, I believe they have about 400 employees right now. Um, uh, They actually it in a different location. Uh, so, all state is in the north suburbs of Chicago, uh, every day is in downtown, uh, the merchandise market right at the center of uh, where technology is happening. And, um, and basically these companies serving anyone that has uh, mobility data needs. So they serve all state as their customer, but uh, they can also serve uh, anyone in the ecosystem or even their competition. And uh, really that I think is putting an edge on the ability they have to collect, analyze, uh, collect uh, in, in a mass and analyze data in, in very unique ways. So for me, that was a, a major shift. Um, right now, they're in probably the past, but I think at some point, you know, they may come back together.
0: Are they Allstate branded Moises or are they, um, they oh, have their separate brand and that
3: connection to the parent company is, is pretty the, loose? It's pretty loose. Yeah, it's a different company. It's, it's, it's fully owned by Allstate, but it's a, it's a different company, it, it, yeah. it's completely independent. Interesting,
0: Um, perhaps I'm learning there too in terms of how how big companies, the two different strategies of like, do you you have it tied and tethered to the parent or or allow it to be different now? George, an example of transformation.
2: I'm gonna go with Eli Lilly. Um, The big thing in healthcare now is something called value-based contracting to really, really summarize it. Um, When you get a drug, basically you're depending on studies that were done Five, 10, 20 years ago, that may or may not really be relevant to you. More importantly, they may not actually show the results later on. Um, most drug companies have been happy with that because it's more money in the bank. That, along with what they used to call the blockbuster model, meaning I give a whole bunch of people the drug, even though a fraction of them really will get the benefit, meant a lot of billions of dollars in the coffers. Eli Lilly, well, basically, many drug companies have been pushed back now because you now we're in the age of big data. I'm an insurance company and I'm paying for it, I mean, I think Kaiser even started this back in the day. I can analyze all the results of all the drugs that I bought from you. And if they're not matching up to what you said would happen, why should I be paying for this? Um, a lot of drug companies, as you might imagine, fought back against this. But I think it was about five, six years ago, they only said, you know what? Let's do the right thing for the patient. Let's see what we can do. We're willing to put some of what you would co- compensate us for at risk. Uh, you know, we will do performance-based uh, measures and outcomes. And if it doesn't do what we say it's going to do based on your population, we'll pay you back. Or you can pay us if we hit certain targets. Um, you know, that type of almost ensuring your product and drugs is unheard of, especially if you're already locked into making billions of dollars. And a lot of drug companies like Pfizer and whatnot have bought it because why should they? But given where we are in 2020 with big data, with people, you know, Demanding privacy for their data, being able to own it or to control access for it and the price of drugs being so high, it becomes really important now to be able to put your money where your mouth is. And in this case, I believe Eli Lilly is willing to put their business model at risk and change to do that.
0: It's so, so interesting, the performance based outcome model. Like, I, I think, as much as you said, it's a healthcare thing, it really is in, in a world where you can prove whether something delivered or not. I think it's the same in advertising, it's the same in sales. It's like um, there's, there's a lot of interesting business models in the future based on, okay, uh, we'll stand behind our product, right? So, interesting.
2: There's also a lot of risk, too, though. And I think that's something that Sean, you know, I think all of us, when you set up a measure, right, you perform to the measure. And you have to really make sure that measures do
0: it, getting the right outcome you want. And I think that's something that we're all going to have to be on the lookout for as we mm-hmm. move forward. We were uh, mentioning in a previous webinar too, just different insurance products um, that, um, in a pandemic, uh, when even you're delivering, and all of a sudden you have a world cataclysmic event like that, which are becoming, when you look at global climate, when you're looking at cybersecurity, uh, the risks. Uh, are manifold and sometimes out of your control. So it's, uh, it's maybe something that may prevent that model from being widespread over the next few years. Um, Andrea, your transformation nominee. This
1: is This is going to be obvious and completely not obvious at the same time. It's Salesforce. And I watch the way people lead when no one's watching, and when they don't have to. And I watch Mark Benioff. And I think, you know, He didn't have to talk to Jack Ma against the will of Donald Trump, et cetera, to get some face masks delivered from China like overnight Jet express. He didn't have to do that. He's running a software company last time we checked. Um, We know someone who was on one of our webcasts who's running a transformation effort. Ironically, um, it's a digital, it's a transformation effort within finance. Well, once again, you know, they're compliant. They're doing all the right things. They get top talent. Why would they need to do this? Well, because they see the long view is... To be able to stay ahead of what their customers are looking at, they see so much because they have such a large reach that they thought, you know, physician heal thyself. There you go. Um, I was trying to make a blend there. <laughs> um, let's, you know, let's do to ourselves what we're t- preaching to all of our customers. And so they just, you know, they just said, okay, we're going to do digi- we're going to do a um, transformation when we don't have to, to get ahead of what finance needs to look like in the future data visualization, all the things that, you know, you can put off for a long time, get a lot of technical debt, but if you're going to double the size of the company, which is what she told us she they're wanting to do, I mean, you got to get, you can't have tech debt. You, you need to solve that, but wait, there's more. So I was pretty impressed. I'm thinking, okay, you know, this guy, he built hospitals, he flies around, he gets things to happen. But when the George Floyd thing happened, it's really hard for a non-African American male to, um, to say anything that's not tone deaf. It's hard for a company to not sound like they're doing a slogan, kind of like COVID. How many, oh, we care about you. Can you please buy another shirt, you know? And, and that was a moment that was super tough. I think it was tough for leaders to know what to do. And I just observed a lot of deer in the headlights, You know, just like, wow, this is, this is not what we were waiting, what we were prepared for. And I'll tell you, you know, what, what I heard from how Salesforce handled it, Was he knew when to step aside, let the people with the stories be the ones with the stage, and understood that there's moments where leaders, by not being the heroic, jump on a plane and bring all the ventilators home, you know, but being not that guy. And I watched how he, you know, I wasn't there, but, you know, according to the telling, had these events throughout the company that was not, we're going to hire this and we're going to knee jerk reaction that. It was, let's learn together. And I feel like that just felt so exactly right that um, it struck me as a new leadership transformation approach. You don't have to be Jack Welsh anymore. Um, and nothing is wrong with him for the time, but um, this feels like a a time where we need to be really learning some things and listening to people we haven't had to listen to. Um, our children are going to be in charge of our companies in about two months, right? Um, all the people of a certain age are getting laid off, and you know. There's going to be new voices, hopefully, in our government, um, and we have to just have those moments. So uh, I, I liked him for the ventilators. I loved him for the for the moment of not talking, not being on the stage.
0: Uh, well, you've influenced me here, then, Andrea. Your your heartfelt uh, thing. I had I had two or three nominees in this thing, but given uh, what you've said, and I think uh, your your thought about transformation is really are good listeners, right? I think um, you got to be a good listener before you're a good actor. I, uh, so I, I'm going to avoid talking about Intuit or Adobe and how they've transitioned as software companies into something else. And I'm going to avoid Schneider Electric, even though uh, I know we know people there that have gone from being kind of an electrical component company to an IoT company. I think BlackRock for me is an interesting example. a um, so big investment company they, if you go to the front page of their website now, it looks nothing like it probably did last year. And um, they've put 750 um, billion into a fund all around positive uh, impacts on the world. So it tends to have been that most corporate social responsibility stuff ends up being in a very satellite department inside a company that doesn't have a lot of teeth at the executive table. And there you add some sprinkle dust and you know, we'll hope that things work out. I think um, BlackRock was maybe at the leading edge of a trend here that I'm seeing that, you know what, impact on the community and the world really is important and that real money should be spent here. And so they've now got a mission where across the company, they don't invest in any uh, companies that don't have women on a seat, at least one woman on a seat on the board. Uh, they must kind of hit at least a few uh, climate kind of things that, um, require some investment or you don't get money from one of the biggest investment houses in the world. So I think, um, uh, I don't know what movie it is, but follow the money. Well, I mean, uh, if you follow the money here, it looks like money at least has a somewhat uh, smilier face on it now. Um, so those are my examples. We got a, a great collection. Um, what we do at the end of these things is we, we kind of go around the horn and ask people what we've learned. So maybe Andrea, I'll, I'll let you start on this one and maybe I'll, I'll go around to all four of you and uh, see what we've learned.
1: I'm feeling much more optimistic than I thought I would. I, I, I forget how much talent is out there doing the right thing. And uh, I was inspired. I learned from says. I mean, I, I learned about, I didn't, I should have known about Mercado Libre, but I didn't. So that's a big blind spot for me. I'm gonna go learn about. And I had heard about Mountain, but I hadn't heard about Civica RX. Um, so I learned from George, and I, I just feel like um, it's this fantastic moment of, you know, like it takes a good pandemic to get us to just notice the positive sometimes. And um, I've been feeling like healthcare, especially, was so sluggish and was never going to get it. And you know, overnight, it's just had to get it. And so I'm, I'm actually feeling a lot more optimistic than I was at the beginning of this hour. So. Thanks to George and Moises for exposing me to some really cool businesses to look at.
2: George, uh,
0: revelations, discoveries?
2: I, I need to get out of healthcare more often and, t- and talk to you guys so I can hear more about these other examples. Partially because, you know, variety's the spice, but partially because it's, healthcare has always been kind of the, the lagging indicator, if you will, of how things have transformed. It's nice to know that we've got these little lights of innovation and disruption in some cases happening, but. We truly only learn by talking to other industries. Um, I think a lot of the examples you all gave were really encouraging to me, because in a lot of cases, whether it's, I think, the uh, simple, Simplify Labs that you talked about, Moises, um, where it takes something very complex and simplifies it so that a layman who doesn't have that technical background can start to understand what's going on with something important to them. I think that's a trend that's going to continue. Um, within every industry, including healthcare. Um, there has to be this type of democratization of information. It can't be all kind of held up by expertise or in silos or whatnot. So I'm encouraged by that because hopefully that allows people to have a better life. Um, you know, and I was also thinking about what you said before about the transformation of healthcare because of COVID. One of the, maybe it's one of the cynical thoughts that went through my head is we went through change that we haven't been to do for 20 years in two months in terms of telemedicine, in terms of cross-licensing to allow doctors to go across borders, um, you know, releasing medications quickly for people to use. You know, we can talk about that offline as to how, why some of that was, but there was some good thinking behind some of it. Um, I think in my mind, that shows that there was a lot of inertia that was man-made. We could have done this any time, so why don't we? And hopefully I'm not the only person having that aha moment where we can actually take care of other people and not worry about, well, this might affect the bottom line or the worlds might collide. No, didn't happen. And we all pulled together. So let's do it again.
0: Well, I'm ready to walk over the hot coals with you there, George. Um, this is, uh, this is great. Um, and Moises, um,
3: kind of thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I'm, um, I'm, in the area where I work, I'm pretty far from healthcare. Um, so I think a lot of the learnings come from that side. Uh, so George, it should be good that you have ex- had examples that were close to your area of expertise. And it's encouraging, as Andrea mentioned, to see that you know a, uh, a sector that we've always felt lags behind is trying to find ways to serve all of its stakeholders in new ways, uh, and that's very long needed. I wish we had some examples like that on education, uh, you know, uh, that's an area that I think also needs a lot of, uh, a lot of innovation. And I haven't seen a lot there. I don't know if uh, you guys had seen, I, I will be, I'm going to be curious, you know, after you go through all the different uh, award uh, nominees, you know, if there are any education ones I know there are some examples there, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's an area that I'm seeing a lot of, uh, being a lot of under stress. Uh, my daughter is, first year of college and I'm seeing just how they are managing this whole situation you wish they managed that a little more like a like a an enterprise that it's you know trying to serve their customers Um, so anyway those are my my learnings
0: yeah great ones um and I think um more to follow potentially I know we did have some discussion on education but I think um they're on the fringes. They're not in the, the core of what we call education. So uh, I think the same thing might be for, for government as well. Uh, mm-hmm. It's amazing when you unfreeze constraints, how, how things kind of magically can materialize. My hope is that same spirit continues. Um, I'm just gonna share a screen here. We're just going to um, do a little bit of housekeeping at the end of this uh, before we exit. Um, first of all, I really wanna thank George and Moises for bringing uh, their A game to the table today. Um, Despite their uh, their love in on the Michigan Wolverines, as I turned uh, to call earlier, just uh, they have best shown state ever. What do you mean, Sean? Showed them- <laughs> 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 themselves to be true citizens of the world, not just of that uh, that uh, beloved university. So. Um, as I mentioned, we're going to have nominations um, start up on June 29th. So we'd love to hear about your own thoughts in terms of all these different categories um, from a variety of different industries. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. And my hope is, as I mentioned earlier, George and George and Moises might uh, play a role in terms of determining some of the, uh, the winners down the road. Um, uh, I'm giving Andrew an extra week break on our next webcast. We're, uh, we're not doing it every two weeks. We're going to take an extra week because it's summer. On July 14th, we're talking about the future of work and culture and leadership. Um, that should be a good one given what uh, I've seen over the last four months, both good and bad. Um, we have a newsletter. We think it's pretty smart. We'll, we'll obviously probably surface this uh, webcast on there at some point in the near future. Um, join if you, uh, you're so inclined. And we've also um, kind of convened and curated a group of about 200 sense makers around the world. We've, uh, we've just newly minted it. It's called the Gray Swan Guild. Um, everybody came passionate to the table back in March. We wrote a post which turned into a group of people which turned into a bigger group of people and now has turned into a website and a publication that is trying to make sense of the pandemic and, and where it's headed toward the future. So, so jump to grayswanguild.org uh, if uh, you're interested in trying to know what's uh, around the corner from the pandemic. Myself and Andrea are launching a book next month. Um, we'll do the shameless self-promotion next month. We'll leave it just as a slide for now. Right, Andrea? Yeah?
2: Right. Okay.
0: <laughs> um, Congratulations on that. Yeah, well, definitely. <laughs> congratulate us when it's actually out there in a world of at least not crisis mode pandemic when, when we were originally thinking about launching it, Moises. Um, so once Tom, again, I we're at home, we got to read something. So, I mean, it's perfect timing. <laughs> yeah, no, true. We miss you. Well, it's summertime. Good summertime patio reading. So uh, I really want to thank not only George and Moises, but all of our panelists that uh, came to the table. I've, uh, the amount of new information and new discoveries I had were, was great. So uh, this has been one of our best uh, kind of discovery sessions, I think, um, that we've ever had, Andrea. So, so thank you. Um, Thank you, Andrew, my co-host again, and uh, we'll just do the the sharp break and say we'll be seeing you at some point in the future. Thank you, everybody. Thank Thank you.